What does it actually mean to be a bad bitch? I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and if you're asking me, it means being fully alive, unstoppable, kicking ass at the things that light you up, and being permanently unavailable for the things that make you feel like shit. Whether you're a boss bitch business owner or just someone who goes hard on your personal and professional growth, buckle the fuck up and get ready to be inspired, challenged, and take action. Let's do this, boo. Hey y'all, welcome back to Bad Bitch Therapist Podcast. I'm over here cracking myself up because I just finished recording this whole intro and I wasn't recording. (laughs) So sometimes we just have to laugh at ourselves because it's a good alternative to getting pissy, right? So let's see, where to begin? I have been enjoying a weekend of family time. My dad came in from Texas and my cousin Becca came in from Texas and they watched our show on Friday night with my band Conventional Wisdom that I sing in with my husband Chris and a couple of our friends. It was such a fun show. Also, you can check out our music on Spotify. It'll be linked in the show notes if you want to, if you like a little good 90s inspired indie rock vibe. So that was really fun. And then that ties into what I've been watching recently that I'm loving. We watched most of, we haven't finished it yet, Brandi Carlisle's In the Canyon Haze live set that she recorded for IMAX theaters. I think that it streamed live maybe into some IMAX theaters and is now on Max. I don't know why they don't call it HBO Max and it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, Twitter is now X. So branding is sometimes a fail of rebrands. <laughs> but in the Canyon Hayes, this live set is incredible. I mean, her talent, the twins, just the whole band, the talent, the sound quality with the mixing, the the aesthetic vibe of the shoot, just absolutely stunning. Highly recommend it. Recently, I have been reading a book called How to Change by Katie Milkman that is scratching the itch for all my human behavior and psychology obsession. And then I've been loving a new streaming bar program called Bar Definition by Jacqueline Umoff, aka Action Jacqueline. Highly recommend it. I am super picky with bar classes and I am like loving her style so much. I think that's all I really want to say. So let me tell you about our guest. Our guest is actually my cousin, Rebecca Mosley, who was just visiting and is now onward to Illinois for the rest of her road trip. She has had a hell of a life story and she is so inspiring to me and I think a great example of that the the true balance of resilience and and the fact that that also comes with continued struggle and that even our quote unquote strong friends, our resilient friends, they struggle too. They need help too. And so her story is so real and I think you're going to get out a, a lot out of just listening to it. She talks about reclaiming her sense of self and kind of rebuilding herself through kind of mental health crisis. And then also we talk a little bit about ethical non-monogamy, which is the path that she's choosing, at least for this season of her life. And so it's just 
a really fun, interesting conversation. I'm biased, but I think you guys will think so too. And she's an amazing human. Just being in her presence, she's so easy to be around and and I'm just completely comfortable with her and I'm so grateful for our friendship and relationship. So enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Mosley. Just kidding, one more super important quick PS. Content warning for this episode, we do talk quite a bit about suicide and depression. So if those are things that you need to be mindful of listening to right now, maybe skip this episode. And also wanted to just provide some resources here. These will also be in the show notes. The crisis text line available from anywhere in the US. Text START to 741-741 or visit crisistextline.org at any time about any type of crisis. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org for also tons of other resources. And the Trevor Project, specifically for LGBTQ youth, to reach a counselor anytime, 866-488-7386 or thetrevorproject.org. And now let's get into the episode. Becca, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me, Valerie. And Dahlia. Dahlia is the guest of honor. (laughs) All the way from North Texas. Yes. Yeah. So let's start with what does it mean to you to be a bad bitch? For me, it means feeling true to oneself, but also not being, you know, maybe so fiercely independent, but I think for me, it's important to feel okay on my own and not like I have to have others to complete me. So that's that's what being a bad bitch means to me, I guess. (laughs) I love it. I feel like that's a natural segue into one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, which is like the, the poly stuff. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's interesting. I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it's just the world I'm in with like sex therapy and, but I mean, you probably see this too, that I feel like in the last couple of years, even mm-hmm. it's just like blown up as this phenomenon that's increasingly mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like what brought you to that as like, this feels like the right path for you, at least for this season, if yeah. not forever. Well, you know, I didn't even know like term wise, that ethical non-monogamy is what I prefer. I didn't know that was a thing until like 2019, but through college, I saw my best friend, you know, date a few guys and it wasn't she wasn't cheating on anybody because everyone was in the know. Mm-hmm. And, but she was still, you know, getting all her needs met. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And yeah, I looked into it. I was like, oh, that's actually ethical non monogamy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just love it. I mean, for me, and I don't know, like you said, if it'll always be this way, but when I am in a like one on one monogamous relationship, it kind of gets all consuming. Mm-hmm. I might be a hair codependent. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to lose oneself. Yes. Yeah. Whereas with the ethical non-monogamy, I feel like I can really, you know, put myself first without harming mm-hmm. anyone. Yeah. And this is something that I'll probably get more into in the next interview I do with the um, hosts of the Multi Amory podcast and the and authors of the book Multi Amory. But mm-hmm. 
I'm curious how you answer this. Like if, if people find out that you practice ethical non-monogamy and they're like, well, isn't that just like, you just can't commit. <laughs> like, what is your response to that? I mean, I think commitment means something different to me, I guess. Sure. And, you know, I do know people, you know, like my cousin mm-hmm. that has been in long term. My brother, not yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long term non monogamous relationships. And he's very committed. committed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for me, you know, most of my relationships are, you know, little six months to a year. But that's because I'm not looking for like the one, the one, a one. Yeah. (laughs) And also it's just circumstantial. It's like, who knows if any one of those people had been someone that was truly compatible as a long-term partner, you know, just depends. But it's also, I think for my, I don't know, my limits, right? Yeah. I don't see myself wanting to like live with someone or really do that whole settle down thing yeah so but I know a lot of people that do do that and still practice polyamory sure and I also think like just settling down in general and and the hierarchies in our culture that exist Mm -hmm. around like what is better and what is viewed as I mean even I I don't like the word healthy versus unhealthy because they're it's like according to who right so you know when you talk about flexibility Like I think of how, you know, you're always going on these road trips, like solo travel Mm -hmm. out to California and wherever car camping by yourself now with Dahlia, of course. And, you know, so like that ability to just pick up and do that or Mm -hmm. considering like camper life, you know, that's something that not that you can't do with a partner, but it's just, it's, you know, I feel like flexibility and freedom. It seems like a really big value for you. Yeah. I think the freedom is very important to me and not to judge other people's deal. But when I hear about like married couples that have to check in with each other before making (laughs) these big decisions, I'm just like, I could never, Yeah, I like just checking in with myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I will say too, that like, of course, again, marriage looks like a million different things. Mm -hmm. And, and I really appreciated that, appreciate that about my marriage is like, you know, I mean, there's probably at least one trip that I have already scheduled for myself professionally that I'm like, Oh, I haven't even bothered telling Chris that I'm going to Austin (laughs) in a month. (laughs) And so it's, it's nice to feel like there's that flexibility, but, and not to say that it should always be that way. And that there's one right way of doing it, but like, yeah, finding the way that works for you and whoever you might be involved with. Right. Well, I can definitely see that. And I don't know, it is nice to have people, you know, I have people I check in with, Mm -hmm. but yeah, just the idea that I would have to is just uh, suffocating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there can also be this sort of um, assumption of like, oh, you're probably only choosing this because like, you saw your parents' marriage not work out. And so you don't believe, you know, like, which, you know, there might be elements of we see this one, this way that we're, is the one way we're supposed to do it. And we do see many examples of it not working well, but it's like, that's only one variable. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and yeah, traditional marriage for sure does not appeal suit me. Like just the idea that I would like give up my last name, you know, my identity and, Uh, it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't float for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about your, your history. And because I know we're going to be talking about trauma stuff and mental health and Mm -hmm. therapy. 
So however, however it makes sense to you to, to share some of that story. Sure. Well, I've definitely grown up with trauma, like as the next family member. Yep. I feel like trauma's always kind of been there. Been following you around. Yeah. So I guess if we want to start from the beginning, mm-hmm. my older sister, Taylor, oh, she really struggled with her mental health. And oh, I think doctors struggled with how to help her because yeah. she was on so many different types of medication and just didn't seem to work for her. And oh, she unfortunately killed herself when she was 16. I was 10. And I think that's- You're only sibling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and from 10 up, I was an only child. And and then I started therapy and I feel like I've been in therapy more years than not since. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. And now luckily I was in a very pro-therapy family. Like mm-hmm. My mom was a licensed marriage family therapist and mostly you. And so I'm glad that was always like looked at as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And your mom actually, when I was considering going to grad school for mm-hmm. therapy and like suddenly realizing, oh my God, there's like five different master's programs that I could do. And I had no idea right. like how to approach it. I called your mom and was like, help me figure this out. And she was like, well, you know, psychologists are boring. No, left to my psychologist. But it was just funny how she, I mean, definitely was one of the big variables that pointed mm-hmm. me towards social work, which wasn't what she had done. But it's like, we often kind of learn like, well, if I could do it again, I might do it this way. So right. I just always, you know, think of her as like, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Inspiration mm-hmm. on on my path too. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Yeah. I guess we'll go on with my traumas. Yeah. yeah. Spicy memories. Spicy memories. Yeah. Obviously, you know, my sister's death mm. was really hard on my parents. Yeah. And, you know, they both coped in their own ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And when I was 18, my mom also killed herself, which is like not a cool family tradition. No, no. And um, I think like she never really got the help she needed. It's like even being in the helping profession. And I think that's something that people might assume or might even judge, you know, like shouldn't, but it's like when you're in that tunnel of, and it's, you know, mom had struggled with depression for long before that, but it's like, you're in that tunnel and you truly believe the things that you're telling yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, she had pretty much decided she couldn't get help and that, you know, she knew the tricks, they wouldn't work on her. And yeah, which is a shame, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder sometimes, you know, with these new treatments coming out, like, I don't know, like ketamine, ketamine or I psychedelics yeah. or something, you know, might've helped, but yeah. And same thing with, you know, your sister Taylor, that it's like, what was discovered about adolescent use of antidepressants mm-hmm. in not even long after her death, it was yeah. like, oh crap, some of this stuff can actually increase suicidality. And it's like, God, but it's yeah. early, you know, 2000s in Waco, Texas, people didn't know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. No, when she was that age, they didn't have that spiel at the end of commercials that might increase thoughts. Right. Yeah. And pretty soon after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm interrupting the pod very briefly for a quick message about how to work with me. If you enjoy this podcast, 
then we would probably be a great fit working together. I would love to support you whether you are a leader, a business owner, or just someone who wants to crush some of your goals over the next few months. Let's talk. I have several programs and would love to tell you more about them and learn what you are wanting to work toward. You can shoot me a DM, an email, find me online at badbitchtherapist.co. All right, let's get back to the episode. So then that was like right before, I mean, you know, months before you were supposed to head off to college. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously you've talked about this some before, but I think just like kind of zooming out and going back to that time, like, did you, what was it like for you to be like, okay, so now I'm just supposed to go on with my life and like move away and do this. Like what was going on in your head? I was so not ready for college. I actually, I had to leave for a little bit after my first semester. I made it through the first semester. I was like, oh, this is nope. Yeah. And I I blamed it on, I couldn't live in the dorms after growing up in the country, but I think it was really like, you know, unaddressed trauma. And I was just so (laughs) unprepared. Yeah. But I was, lucky enough to go back a a year later and uh, got my way through school. But really, no, I don't know. Sometimes I wish I could go back and do undergrad again because I was just not ready. Not fully there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And, and did you have like, I know you mentioned being in therapy, like after Taylor died and Mm -hmm and you've had maybe, you know, with moving and stuff, you've had different therapists over the years. I wonder like, cause I think a lot of people, the first time they get into therapy, they're not choosing whoever they're working mm-hmm. with. And of course, a lot of times we're, we just have to use whatever our insurance takes right. and especially where you are, you know, who's available. But I wonder like in your ex- initial experience of therapy, before you got to the phase where you are now, where you're like, oh, I'm like, fully capable of like kind of choosing someone who's a really good fit. And I have the resources to make that happen in your earlier experiences of therapy. Like were they mixed? Did they feel useful? Did they feel harmful? Yeah. So the first therapist that I saw that was shortly after my sister died, you know, she was nice. She was okay. Yeah. And I saw her for a a couple years and I think she helped me process some stuff, but I I don't think she would have been the one I would have picked if I'd have had any say. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there was the therapist I saw in junior high who, again, she was she was nice, but we didn't hit it off. Yeah. And then luckily in high school, I, I guess my mom must have found her, but mm-hmm. I had this amazing therapist, cool. Jeannie. And, you know, I was still seeing her when my mom died. So she really you know, helped me through that. And then I went to college and I was like, I'm done with therapy. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah. And it was like years later that you know, I actually got in a consistent therapy relationship again. And you now I've been seeing my current therapist for a little over or almost two years now. And mm-hmm. she's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's definitely a process. And I think I'm almost lucky that I don't have insurance because mm. I think if you're going through the filter of like who takes my insurance yeah. you're already so limited right but um yeah I was lucky enough to find someone that I really click with and mm-hmm. have a good you know trusting back and forth now but yeah it, it takes a while it does yeah and this will be in the show notes too but open path collective is another good mm-hmm. resource for people who either don't have insurance or maybe they have insurance, but they like 
they need someone who has a specialty that they can't get and network Mm -hmm. with their insurance and people who therapists who offer like a certain number of reduced fee spots. So I'm on there and it's a really awesome directory. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so it was a was it a couple years ago that everything like kind of like came to a head for you? Yeah. I had a, a, sh- a shit hit the fan shit. moment. <laughs> yeah. And we can't go into too much sure. detail because there's an ongoing legal case. Yes. But yeah, I kind of, realized some things from my youth were like actually not cool actually abuse mm-hmm. and I have had a little minty bee and I <laughs> got in my car and ran away to California and up to Washington and it was you know not the not the most stable road trip yeah but I got back and my wonderful family, <laughs> you and your mom and some other people, you know, helped me get into this intensive outpatient program. And that was great. And I started doing a little EMDR there. And then after I left that, I was like, oh, I need to find like a therapist that mm-hmm. I can regularly do EMDR with. And that's been great. Yeah. 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 And that was the place that you went. I'm forgetting it. PCS. Psychological Counseling Services. Very boring name. Yeah. Arizona. (laughs) But it's really kind of unique. I mean. It's a cool place. Yeah. Yeah. Because most like even residential, because you you were like staying in your own little Airbnb Mm -hmm. and then going for like 12 hours of of therapy every day, right? For like a week. Most even residential programs where you're staying for a month or whatever, you're getting like one individual session a week. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is groups, which groups can be amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I think there were some groups there too, but it's just, it's very rare to find the kind of thing where like, you're actually getting intensive one-on-one. Yeah. And that was part of why I was like, I hope that this can work out. Yes. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. I was seeing like a somatic therapist mm-hmm. while I was there and a dietitian, yeah. and you know, even like met with their psychiatrist and you know, it was really like just a lot of personalized yeah and yeah like two three hours of group but mm-hmm. a lot of individual sessions was, yeah they were saying it was basically like you know six months of therapy put into a week right <laughs> right not exhausting at all yeah there's a reason they call it an intensive Right. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. And, you know, for anyone listening, it's the language in the therapy world can be so confusing because a true IOP or intensive outpatient program is more like nine to 12 hours a Mm -hmm. week. Like you go in somewhere for three hours a day, three to five days a week to do groups. Mm -hmm. Again, you have maybe one session a week. So that kind of trauma intensive is pretty uncommon. There's only maybe a couple places in the country that do things like that, but IOPs are good too. It's just, you know, it's, it's such a, the thing that's so frustrating is that like, it's such a clusterfuck of Mm -hmm. an industry to figure out like when someone is in crisis, like a, what do they actually need? And B, is that even remotely accessible to them? Right. Well, and I don't know how people, you know, that don't have family helping them, yeah. like if you're in crisis, how are you supposed to calmly sit down and arrange all of that yourself? Like I I'm know. amazed that anyone can. Yeah, I know. Like I, I had another family member just recently who was in need of treatment and it was like, ev- everyone kept telling me Houston area, Menninger, Menninger is the place. And I'm like, cool. 
Menninger is probably going to be upwards of $30,000 for a yeah. month. So that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Most people can't swing that. So then you're right. just like dealing with, okay, well, this other place isn't horrible. <laughs> it's rough, but yeah. So after having that intensive experience, like, and, you know, having to like leave a job and figure out like what's next for me and you're still with your individual therapist and doing the trauma work and EMDR stuff. But I wonder like how it's been, because I know in the past couple of years, it's like, oh, well, what is my plan? And I, and I think everyone expects people to have like, what's your, what's your plan? What's your vision? And it's like, sometimes it's okay to just be like, I'm getting by fine for now. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of feel like I've been rebuilding and it's like, Almost before I have a plan, I think I'm rebuilding my sense of self Yeah, because I just kind of lost all track of who I am. Well, because so many of my memories were just based on this, you know, something I thought was okay, but wasn't. And it just kind of threw, you know, pulled the rug out from under everything. Yeah. And, you know, again, without going into specific detail about that, it was, I think, for a long time. And I I'm curious to like hear your language and perspective around this, but it's like with those two major, major traumas in your upbringing. And then like you're, even though genetically you're clearly very loaded <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for shit and experience wise you're loaded, but you've also had, I mean, as people listening, I'm sure can, can hear like, you have this like very cheerful dinner. <laughs> I mean, your mom kind of did too though. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that doesn't mean that someone's fine if they yeah. just like, are like to laugh and they seem like cheerful and upbeat, but, but you always like, I don't know. It's, it was just like, oh my God, she's like this miracle human. Like <laughs> she's just somehow. Okay. I mean, and not yeah. like fine, but like, she's okay. She's not turned to drugs. She's not like, like, how is this happening? But we'll just trust it. And mm-hmm. then it was almost like, you know, this, this other thing happened. And like you said, the rugs, it was almost like just everything all of a sudden mm-hmm. exploded. Right. Yeah. Well, it was like the thought came to my mind because I had spent so many years being resilient yes. and strong. And like, yeah. well, what if I'm not okay? Yeah. What if, what if I need to fall apart? Yeah. 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 And so I, I let myself fall apart and I think it was ultimately for the good. Yeah. And yeah. it's like both can be true, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, you can be resilient and strong yeah. and resourceful. And sometimes, especially when life kicks you in the ass multiple times, mm-hmm. like you, you have to fall apart. And hopefully there are people there to like catch you and help you mm-hmm. and support you, you know? And I think that's been another thing, just like as someone who you know, didn't necessarily have like this immediate family, like making sure that everything was okay, that you've kind of gotten used to like, well, I'll just, I guess I, I guess I'll figure it out. Right. (laughs) And it's like, I feel like it's hard because people like me included. And sometimes it's like, oh, we want to let us know if you need anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one point you were just like, when that was all happening, like, I, I need, I need the help without asking sometimes. Right. Yeah. And like, that's so huge. Yeah. I think it was a, like, you know, if I had a mom that was all yeah. up in my stuff, you know, I wouldn't have a, a choice. Right. She would help. just yeah. be there. Like yeah. I'm here. We're doing, we're taking care of this shit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I really, you know, I'm grateful to have, I, sorry. Yeah, of course. I don't think most people have such a close relationship with their extended family mm-hmm. and, you know, especially, you know, when Taylor died, you stepped in as a sister role. When my mom died, mm-hmm. your mom stepped in as a mom role and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's just like, yeah. it's, it is sad to think because there are people who don't have that kind yeah. of thing. It's like, fuck, no wonder then, you know, they go down paths yeah. that we wish no one had to go down. Yeah. So as far as like you said a few minutes ago in this phase of kind of like rebuilding your sense of self and other than just like go to therapy, try to (laughs) heal one's traumas. I'm like, what does that even look like? Like how, how does a person do that? What, from your perspective? Uh, You know, I, I'm not perfect about it, but I've tried to look a lot at like, you know, what do I value? Yeah. And how do I make my daily life reflect that? Mm-hmm. But literally, like when I uh, got home from the intensive, I was like, what do I, what do I eat? Like, <laughs> what do I do? What do I, you know, just figuring out yeah. how to person again. And yeah, it's been a balance because sometimes you, you just have to eat something mm-hmm. and maybe it's not, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, just. I don't know, trying to figure out what that looks like for me. Mm-hmm. And like this one has clearly in the past, not even quite a year, right? That you've had her. My sweet emotional support animal. Yeah, and I mean, she, she is. She's perfect. And oh my gosh, like during my therapy session, she's always with me. <laughs> Thank goodness for remote. Yeah. And uh, she just, you know, makes so much of a difference because like you don't want someone you know, you don't want a person right there in your lap when you're yeah. doing therapy, but a sweet puppy that loves you so much is very, oh, for me, it's very sweet. The co-regulation, yeah. the yeah. grounding. <laughs> have you ever, I've never asked you this, have you thought about like getting her sort of designated as mm-hmm. either an emotional support animal mm-hmm. or even like getting training for her to be like, why can't, what's the word? Like be a therapy a, dog? A therapy dog or, right. or what do they call the ones that are like, allowed everywhere that we're the best I mean, there's service, service animals, animals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so either one of the have you yeah. thought about getting her certified as so any of those I do have her registered as a emotional, emotional. Okay, animal cool. yeah and not gonna lie that's mostly for the pet rent <laughs> yeah and I mean it's it's kind of useless frankly in most other circumstances right. because they're like this is nothing like there's no legal kind of certification yeah no it's been fun navigating that like I took her to a museum once because they said they allowed support animals okay and they were like no we mean medical animals yeah service animals website should reflect right support animals a different thing (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but most places are cool with her because she's just a tiny baby she is and you have this like one of these bags that she just kind of sits in and it's just this little head like peeking out from your side it's so great yeah like we went to your show the other night in a bar where she was technically not allowed but people yeah yeah. the staff saw her and they're just like she's just sitting there yeah she (laughs) is not a troublemaking dog so yeah yeah she's a very sweet girl (laughs) but yeah we're probably I think there's some mutual separation anxiety (laughs) so I do try to go some places without her yeah but also like no I feel better. She feels better when we're together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it'd be interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever would consider getting her 
I think it'd be cool to like mm-hmm. do some training because I I've wondered you know if she could like help as a therapy dog like I don't know if yeah. I could take her to like hospitals or something right right I think would be really cool yeah yeah or like retirement homes yeah. or whatever that would be neat yeah yeah so other than I mean you were kind of describing just like figuring out like the foundations of mm-hmm. what it means to like care for yourself again and, and prioritize yourself. Is there anything on like the spiritual side or just like emotional health, like things that you do that feel supportive? Mm-hmm. I've started using boundaries. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> like not just always trying to, you know, make other people happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big thing. Yeah. Spiritually. I don't know. I think I've always been a little woo woo. Mm. And I, you know, my new thing is like, I try to not shit on that. <laughs> sure. Yes. But yeah, I think just for me, you know, spirituality is going outside and saying, oh my God, that tree yeah. is amazing. <laughs> you know, just feeling that connection. And so it's something I you know, try to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you also have a best friend who's been your best yes. friend since y'all were how old? Six, since the first grade. That's incredible. Like yeah. I've told you before that I'm like envious of that. I wish I had that, but it's so special. And I would love for if you would just like share a little bit about like, I don't know, like what that friendship is to yeah. you, but also like if there's people like me out there who are like, you know, other <laughs> than just like lucking into it, like right. what anything that you would share, just like knowing what that kind of friendship is like and, and the value of that. Yeah. Well, Katie is my best friend. Like I said, we met when we were six years old <laughs> and she's, she's wonderful. I just, I have so much admiration for her yeah. and the person she's becoming is so cool to watch. Yeah. I think if you want to say I struggle with commitment, like how committed <laughs> Katie and I are to each other. I Y'all tell her that together all the time. from like college 18 yeah. until like just last year. Yeah. 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 Over 10 years. She moved in with her boyfriend last year, which was a grieving process oh, for me. I bet. <laughs> but also like, I love him so I can respect Good. that choice. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, we really did just luck into it. Yeah. But I don't know if you find someone you like, latch on. And you know, it's been interesting as we've gotten older, kind of realizing, you know, because when we were younger, we used to joke that we're just the same person. Right. We right. like all the same things. We do all the same things. But, you know, as we've gotten older, it's like, oh, that's not always true. But I think we've just always had this commitment to each other yeah. that, you know, whatever happens, we are each other's consistent thing. Yeah. And that's so cool. And I love that of like the evolution of like, just as you both psychologically and developmentally matured, like the friendship Mm -hmm. has matured too. And it's like, y'all still do a lot of things together, but like you said, you, you do all these like solo trips and, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that you can like allow each other to to grow in your own ways, but like you still also really value that commitment and the time together. Right. And it is one of those, you know, we don't talk every single day, but when we do, we're just, you know, picking right back up where we left off. And I don't know, I'm so grateful for that because I can be 
can be heckin' awkward, but <laughs> really feel, you know, genuine anytime I'm with Katie. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's okay. awesome. Yeah. What is it like for you just like on a day-to-day basis in terms of like your your loss experience? Like, do you like, does your mom pop up into your head a lot? Like, do, do you think mm-hmm. about that or or is it one of those things where it just kind of it's been so long at this point that it's just sort of randomly pops up what is that like yeah I would say I have you know fond thoughts of my mom throughout the day Mm. and it's I'm really only hit with the loss you know occasionally yeah and it can just be something it's usually if something else is wrong I'm like oh I wish my mom was here yeah so, or if something's going great, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, a double-sided sword, but I think that's one of the things they say about grief is, you know, when you can think of the, of the person and it's not just a sadness, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, I can fondly, you know, mom would say this, mom would yep. do that. And yeah, but it's definitely been a journey there. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when I'm more depressed or going through a harder time, it is harder memories mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. And I think just like the little things that a lot of people who've not either had a loss like that or been in close proximity to it wouldn't even think about like, just like people sharing about their own Mm -hmm. relationships with their parents or a parent sharing about their relationship with their kid. Like I imagine hearing stuff like that, even if you're not like mad at the person, like it's still like probably loaded. Yeah. No, I mean, up until a few years ago, I just, I couldn't with Mother's Day. Yeah. I would just, you know, hide from like April to mid-May. <laughs> oh gosh, the, the don't Mother's look at Day any commercials. And, yeah, yeah, don't turn on the radio. And then I went into childcare and it was like mothers all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to get over that. But yeah, I think, you know, it is hard sometimes when people talk about their relationships, but it's also like, oh, I hope you treasure that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So as we're starting to wrap up, other than Dahlia mm-hmm. and Katya, the cat, yeah. and you mentioned like trees and going outside, what do you just enjoy? Mm. What are some of your like things that you just love to have as part of your life? I love the ocean. Yes. I think if I can get it into an ocean at least once a year, I feel like that is good for me. Mm -hmm. I do love the heat in the summer, even though I'm going to bitch about it relentlessly. (laughs) You're a Texan, you're allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. But when it first starts to get warm and you're just like, oh, this is familiar and, you know, just warms you up from the outside in. I love coffee. <laughs> you love coffee. You love Brandy Carlisle. What what any yeah. favorite shows or or music that you want to encourage people to check out? Obviously Ted Lasso is Obviously, fantastic. Yes. If you haven't watched it yet, what are you doing? Yeah. Of course I didn't watch it until you picked up me into And was there I can't remember, I don't think that that like maybe I gave you like a kind of a vague heads up about, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, spoiler, I guess for, but there, there is a suicide related plot line Mm -hmm. and it's like when stuff like that pops up, I'm sure it depends on just how it's handled, but like, right. Oh, I used to have a lot more sensitivity around suicide 
And like, oh, if someone made a suicide joke, I would get really upset. Yeah. And then I realized if I make suicide joke, people are like worried. Disarmed. Yeah. Worried. So I was like, oh, I could weaponize it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think I've always had an appreciation for the mental health field and mm. like, you know, I want to work in it in some capacity someday. Yeah. And so it's just one of those, like, it's part of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's unavoidable. Yeah. And, you know, suicide's complicated. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their stories. But I think, you know, I wanted to take some of that power away from it. Because, you know, I didn't want someone to just disarm me with some little thing. Mm -hmm. So, but that's been a process. Yeah, yeah. So being able to see a show like that and and feel like, okay, this this isn't like so activating that it like ruins it for me. Right. No, I think, I think that was handled well. Mm. I do have like, you know, specific triggers like around. Sure. The ways. Yes. That their suicides happened, Mm. but you know, suicide itself isn't such a big trigger for me anymore. Yeah. 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 Cool. Any just like parting words that you would want to say as far as anything related to like rediscovering sense of self Mm -hmm. or just like people being able to move forward even after the worst possible things can happen. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I spent a lot of time being scared of my thoughts Mm -hmm. and, you know, just realizing and accepting that like, you know, lots of people have intrusive thoughts or, you know, things are distressing. I think, for so long, I was like, if I'm not okay, I'm not okay. Mm. Whereas now I'm just like, oh, I can, I can feel a strong feeling. And I know that's not going to be where I am forever. Yes. So yeah, just not being afraid of my feelings has been a big thing for me. Yeah. And that makes complete sense. It's like, you've seen what big, scary feelings and thoughts have Mm -hmm. the potential to do. But they're so much scarier if you ignore them. Yeah. 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 Or if you think that every thought you have is true or yeah. it's like saying Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> we can say it. We can speak it. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Dahlia, for being just a very low key participant. <laughs> thank you to people. This is, it's been an honor to sit down and just. It's been an honor for me. Thank you. Yeah. Hell yeah, friend, you made it to the end. I so appreciate you tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, make my day by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating to help other people find this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to grab my free resource, The Procrastination Prescription, and access the five steps I take myself through every time I'm stuck in what I call procrastinoidance hell. Go to bit.ly slash procrastination tool to access it now. That's bit.ly slash procrastination tool, all lowercase. You can follow my antics on TikTok at bad bitch therapist and on Instagram at the same, but with dots between the words. Thanks so much for being here. Now go out there and have a great fucking day. 